Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Never seen the sky so blue. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse Show. It's great to be with you finally on a summer like day, even though Dave Meekin would like it to be much cooler today. Ah, Dave. You know, one thing I will say about his vendetta on summer. Uh huh. Is that he couldn't have tomatoes without I know, summer. and he loves tomatoes. Yes. And since he doesn't have a microphone, we're just going to make fun of him right yes. now. Yes. He does actually have a microphone. <laughs> you know, Dave started out the morning telling us uh, we're halfway to Christmas. Thanks. Leon Day is tomorrow. Yeah, Thanks, I, Dave. I'm surprised you, didn't, you haven't been piping in Christmas music. Oh, okay. <laughs> All righty. So he says the day is young. And you do have a microphone. Are you talking on the air or are you just talking in my ear? Now, Dave. All right. So thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse Show. This morning, plant of the week is Rudbeckia, the black-eyed Susan. And uh, I love this plant. And in all of my moving of plants around, I have failed to actually pull up some of my black-eyed Susans and move them into my backyard, Tom. Are they going to survive if I try to move them around? Maybe. Maybe. Love that. It's always an experiment in my so, these you know these are obviously best moved when it's cooler Definitely. when they're dormant. It's been cool, but you know somebody posted on Facebook the other day that I'm way too busy to wait for fall, so I move things, and if they survive, they survive. Uh-huh. That's sometimes and, that's the way it is. You know when you do that, we recommend cutting things back a bit, making sure they don't flower the year that you move them. But it's always an adventure. It is. So let's talk about the black-eyed Susan. Is this one that is more water-wise? It's somewhat more water-wise. You will look at the tags and they'll say water-wise on them, but that's a relative term. And so they're native to the Midwest, and they there will survive on almost rainwater, but here they do need to be watered. Once established, at least once a week, maybe every 10 days. So mm-hmm. they're going to require less water than turf, but they're not going to survive on no water at all. So, yeah. But they're very beautiful flowers. Um, you, you'll find commonly two different species of Black-Eyed Susan. 
available at garden centers. The first one is Rudbeckia hirta, H-I-R-T-A. And these, in our climate, are generally annual or very short-lived perennials. They self-sow quite profusely sometimes, depending on the cultivar. And so you might think, oh, it's come back year after year, but they... Um, die out by November, December, about 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. Now, the Rudebeckia herta cultivars and varieties will uh, flower more profusely and for a longer period of time than the other. But like I said, the disadvantage is they don't come back generally. Our other variety is Rudebeckia fulgida, which is perennial black-eyed Susan. And this one, the most popular and wildly popular cultivar is called Gold Storm or is spelled Gold Storm, S-T-U-R-M. It's a Dutch introduction, even though it's an American native plant. And this Gold Storm will bloom from late July on until late September. And so it has quite a long bloom time, but it's more the last half of the summer. And this is the one that you see a lot more of than the other especially if they're coming back in the same place year after year. Yeah, it's one of those that I love just because it is that late bloomer. So after all my spring things are done blooming, this is one that's beautiful and it's orange. So it kind of looks like an orange daisy with a big black eye. Yes, it does. The petals droop down a little bit. So it has a really unique look. And so they're fairly disease-free. You don't usually run into problems with them. They'll live for 10 or 15 years once planted most often. You know, and I'm talking about the like the Gold Storm variety, but just a super low-maintenance plant. Yeah, they pretty much just do very well. Um, mine like sun? Do they all like sun, or can you plant them in the shade? The more shade, they need at least six hours of sunlight a day. And mm-hmm. so in east exposure, they'll tolerate that. It's not their favorite. But west and south exposures, there's act, they are actually quite uh, sun tolerant and heat tolerant is another advantage to growing them. And so they're not one that will grow very well, say, on the north side of a building. Um, I don't see them as much as I see it. I, actually, that's not true. I was noticing in tri, along Triad here, they have some in some of their bigger garden patches. Is that just because they do spread so easily? It depends on the variety. But, you know, a the Gold Storm Black-Eyed Susan will get two to three feet wide over the years, usually around two, and about two and a half to three feet tall. And so they are, over time, quite large perennials, and there's something that you either plant almost like a a hedge line or use as a foundation plant in a flower bed to where you plant smaller things around them and use them as a periodic anchor in the flower bed. Yeah, very beautiful plant, though. And even when they're not in bloom, they're nice and green, so they do provide some nice foliage. They do. And by the time your spring stuff is is done for the year and you start getting into the summer things, they are blooming at the same time as the uh, um, perennial hibiscus and purple coneflower. And so they're in that mix during the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the sad thing about some of the spring uh, perennials is they're so quick. Like the minute it starts getting warm, which hasn't been the case this year, but the minute it starts getting warm, they're done. Yes. 90 degrees seems to be that cutoff 
for a lot of especially the mid to late spring perennials. So the perennial geraniums, the oriental poppies, the Stella daylilies, there's a number of them that are around 90 degrees when it's consistently there or above, they shut the flowering down. So it's really nice to kind of mix in, you know, your black-eyed seeds in those spots where you like those taller, you know, kind of taller perennials that bloom. It is. And so this is one, or the two species, the Rutabecchia herta, the annual form, you'll find both in greenhouse in the spring. So you can buy, sometimes buy them as little four-inch starts. And they are sometimes put into the perennial section, but the tag will say short-lived perennial, biannual, or annual, something in along mm-hmm. those lines. But the Gold Storm and the one similar to that, Black-Eyed Susan, are always in the perennial section at local garden centers. And they're widely available. And if you'd like to learn more about the Black-Eyed Susan, you can find an article up on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. Calls are starting to come in. We know people are excited about gardening. Now the weather is getting a little bit warmer. Uh, We'll come back with your calls. The number to call, 801-575-8255. Michael's first on the line this morning. And then you can text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton taking your calls and questions. You can call us 801-575-8255. Michael is first on the line this morning. And good morning, Michael. What was your question this morning? Good morning. I have a catalpha bungee umbrella tree. And the leaves are turning yellow. And they curl up and they have little black spots. It happened last year. And I went to the nursery, and they told me, maybe try some magnesium sulfate. I would like an answer, maybe. Help. Well, I'm curious on why they didn't recommend iron also. Because it sounds like to me that you could have a couple different things. One could be an herbicide exposure to where if somebody put down a ground sterilant around the tree, that could cause this, or the more common thing would be a nutrient deficiency such as magnesium or iron. Because it sounds like to me Does your radio on? That will yeah, Michael, turn, turn down. Turn that down because we can hear the feedback from that. Did you hear the answer, Michael? I didn't get all of it, ma'am. Go ahead and repeat. So there's two possibilities here. One of them would be exposure to something like a ground sterilant, to where somebody put something down to kill weeds permanently in the soil. 
and the tree's roots were there. So that would be one thing that could cause that. But the more common one include nutrient deficiencies, but the most common nutrient would be iron. Okay, I did put down uh, some knockout in the fall to kill all the weeds for spring planting. Would that carry through? It definitely could. Let me see what the active ingredient in knockout is. Did it say ground sterilant on it? Yes, I believe it does. Okay. Um, because if that's a ground sterile and you put it around the tree, that could really harm the tree. So all you can really do, I I don't know that there's much you can do at this point. Uh, just let it grow and well, it's a pretty tree. Yeah, let it grow and see what it does. I'm looking at a knockout label here, and it says it's just basically a uh, Roundup knockoff, which isn't a uh, uh, which it isn't a ground sterilant. It just it, you have to spray it on foliage, and so if it was just a Roundup product, unless there was some drift, then I'm looking at a separate label here and Diquat and. Let's see. Glyphosate, diquat, by So, yeah, knockout, it may have damaged the tree a bit, but it wouldn't kill it. And so I suspect you probably have a nutrient deficiency going on. And so especially in the spring, I would put down an iron product called Miller Ferra Plus, and you would just water that in. You'd put it into five-gallon buckets and pour it under the canopy of the tree, and then water it in, and you would do that sometime in early April. Okay, in the fall, I've been cutting it right back to the the stump of the tree. Is that what you should do, or should I leave the branches? You can. That, that particular procedure is called um, pollarding, and you normally would do that in early spring, because if you do it in the fall, it delays dormancy on the tree. And so I would recommend doing that sometime in mid-February to early March. Okay, just leave the limbs on in March yes. or February, cut them off. Yep. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, Michael, thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Ton says, how soon can they spray broadleaf weed killer on an elm, on elm tree seedlings in their lawn, uh, which overseed, they, I guess they overseeded in May? It is too hot for most broadleaf weed killers. They would need to look at maybe a company called Image, an all-in-one lawn weed killer, because that one can be used at warmer temperatures. And won't hurt the grass. Well, and they would need to, I haven't reviewed the label, but you can look those labels up online or look at them at the store. And they would need to look at the interval between seeding and being able to apply. I expect they're okay. I can't guarantee it until they read the label. Okay. Marty is on the line in Draper. Good morning, Marty. What can we help you with? Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, My son-in-law gave me a gardenia um, bush tree. The trunk, it seems like there's two plants together and they're twined like a braid. Uh, it looks quite, uh, it doesn't look like a new tree. Um, I don't know anything about it. I love gardenias. Um, in my country, in Mexico, they're very common. 
but I I would be very sad if I kill it. Well, and don't I know it was... plant it outside. You need to leave Correct. it in the pot. Okay, and good. It's quite it's quite rooted. It's nothing but roots. Could I transfer it into a bigger pot? Oh, I definitely would, especially if you can easily get it out of the old pot. I would move it to something that's a couple of inches deeper and a couple of inches wider than the pot it is currently in. It's about three feet tall, and there's a couple of yellow leaves. So I trim those off. And yeah, you can pull kind of... the yellow leaves off. And what was your, what's your other question? Um. What uh, does it need sun or shade or filter shade? If it's filter adapted sun. outside, sunlight's going to be fine. But be, as you move it into the house, I will just say up front that the gardenias are extremely difficult to get through the winter. They're not really meant as a house plant, and so it may be something you need to enjoy for the summer and try <laughs> to take it in. <laughs> But they are one that is just not easy to get to overwinter. If you have a sunroom or a heated greenhouse, that would make things a little bit easier. But they're just one that aren't known for being able to overwinter very well indoors. Now, the other concern is that you will be getting a few insect pests in it, you know, aphids and maybe spider mites and or some scales and things. And when you bring it inside, there are no natural predators. And so it's going to need to be isolated from other plants in a bright location for a couple of months to make sure that it is not infested with anything. I see. Um, does it need to be fertilized? I would just use some houseplant fertilizer every week or two or something like Osmocote that you just need to put in a couple of times of summer. Okay, so um, I have it, my backyard faces uh, west and it's very, very hot. I have it in the front, which has the morning sun, uh, but then it's shaded in the afternoon. That's Is just that a- fine. Okay. That's just fine. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I love your show. I've been listening for years and years. So thank you very much. And I love gardenias too. In Europe, they are so beautiful. So I know what she's talking about in Mexico. We just need more of a tropical climate. We do. Even, I don't know that St. George is the ideal, but if we were in the 50s in the winter during the day, then it would be a completely different situation. Yeah. You know, you'd see these gardenias in the South and they were just gorgeous. They smelled so good. And I mean, they're yeah, just they're so just, beautiful. yeah, they are. Okay. We're going to take a break uh, for the bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll take more of your calls. Pat, you are up next. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Text us at 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.